Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into this week's edition of the Golf Central Podcast, presented by Callaway Golf. I'm Ryan Lavner, soon to be joined by Rex Hager. In this week's episode, we're talking about Roy McIlroy, back doing Roy McIlroy things. The Super Golf League reemerges as a threat to the PGA Tour. And of course, there is one final tune-up this week at the Byron Nelson before we get on to the PGA Championship. But first, did you, did you know new father John Rahm almost never hits full shots, 8-iron through lob wedge? He prefers to hit three-quarter shots that fly low, so a higher spin ball is a necessity for control. That's what he got in the Chrome Soft X golf ball. Did you know what club Phil is tinkering with and potentially adding to his bag? If you like equipment notes like these, you are going to love Callaway's new World of Wonder. Johnny Wonder takes you inside the tour truck, in the bags of staffers on all world tours, and inside the Eli Callaway Performance Center for all things equipment and fitting. What the pros are doing may just help you shoot your best score. Check out CallawayGolf.com slash World of Wonder today. Rex, you are back from a flight imminently from uh, Charlotte. You had a good week. The uh, Wells Fargo Championship paid off with a great winner in Roy McIlroy, his first win uh, since November 2019. Uh, real quick, what were your impressions of, of how the Sunday went down? It, was, it, it got to be pretty exciting there towards the end. It was exciting. It was probably the Sunday I've enjoyed the most for quite a while on the PGA Tour. And that's not to take anything away from Hideki or anyone else that I've covered this season. And I mean, it's no secret I'm kind of in the bag when it comes to Rory. And it's also no secret that he's a media darling. But what this was, was very much a homecoming. There was so much synergy. There was so much, I don't know if you want to call it origin story here, or however you want to frame it. And I tried to frame it in that sort of way that in 2010, when he was mop-headed Matt McElroy. I mean, he was a little bit on the chubby side and he was this rising star. He wins on the first time at Quail Hollow and kind of starts this love affair with the golf course. And I was just taken, I was kind of, I, I knew where I was going with the story and I sort of had to shake myself out of a stupor. And you'll appreciate this as someone who sits in a media center sometimes and has a tendency to get lazy like the rest of us. And lazy. He, he, well, no, hear me out. He was he was finishing up on 15, and, and I mean, I could kind of describe it the media center as a quail, but uh, suffice to say, it's a bit of a walk to get to 16 where the media center is. But I thought to myself, like, I kind of want to see him play these last three holes, and, and I didn't want to see it on TV. I wanted to be out there. I wanted Not just any three holes, Rex, the Green Mile. The, the Green we Mile, told, I know. We told a million times. Very, very good marketing on their part, which we're going to continue to hear throughout the history of mankind. 
However, I, I wanted to see how he played that green mile, but I wanted to see the fans because by my best estimates, and I had one tournament official when I asked him how many people are here, his response to me was, how many did the tour allow us to have? And I said, I believe the number was 15,000. And he said, then we have 14,999. So I think they, they crammed every last body they could onto that golf course because they want to get back to something close to normal. And it felt like normal. And walking down 18, it felt like normal because it was Roy walking down that particular fairway with the lead about to win. It felt like normal because it was people chanting his name. It felt like normal because he raised the putter over his head like he always does, or it seems like he always does on that golf course. And I mean, I'm, I'm not a sappy person, but I got a little warm and fuzzy with that one last night because I felt like for all the reasons that I've pointed out, this was the perfect story as we get kind of more into the meat of the season and back to hopefully something closer to normal. So a couple things there. Uh, yes, on TV, at least, it looked like there were a ton of people there, certainly more than what we saw for the Players' Championship, which to me felt like the most normal event since the pandemic hit in March 2020. I mean, there was a lot of people there, but but you're right. Quill Hollow was a, a different vibe in the sense that I didn't see hardly anyone wearing a mask. Did, do, do fans not have to wear masks anymore? I don't think so. And I mean, it probably depends on, that's probably not the answer to the tour to give but i'm going to enforce that i was i actually talked to a media a, a tournament director uh, uh, not a, a wells fargo but another tournament last week about this because what am i supposed to do send an army of people out to yell at these people to tell them to put on the mask and that person's probably going to have two or three too many ipas as we all know i'm prone to do like what am i supposed to do and i, I think that point is very well taken when it comes to the pga tour they can't police this so, yes, it probably isn't a very good optic on TV, but I don't see any other way around it. And then there's there's a couple other things to, to get into there. Um, I think not just Rory, but over the weekend, we also had a winner on the LPGA in area, Jutania Garn, former world number one. He hadn't, she hadn't won in three years. And so, to me, I mean, the theme of 2021, uh, most certainly other than just we're slowly beginning to see a return to normal, is this slump-busting star. It started with Jordan. And it continued to Lydia Ko and Hideki Matsuyama and Brooks Kepka and Brooke Henderson. And now you have Rory and area winning. I, I mean, it's a, it's an incredible storyline and it's, it's, it's fascinating for us who have to tell these stories because it all seems to be happening here uh, over the past couple of weeks and in, in, a, in a past couple of months. And I think Rory's return might be the most surprising of all. And the reason I say that, not because I didn't think that he could get back to winning golf tournaments and winning golf tournaments, uh, in impressive fashion and even winning major championships. Cause I still think at age 32, he is more than capable of doing that. But I put it in the context of look where we were just two months ago at the players championship. Rory missed the cut there by a mile. And it was after that Friday missed cut where he stood in front of us and said that he had essentially lost his way because he had gone down the wrong path of trying to chase speed and, and keep up with Bryson DeChambeau based on what Bryson had done. Uh, at, at wing for, for the U S open. I mean, that is as lost and as confused and as vulnerable as I think we've, we've, we've seen Rory in a number of years, probably since the, the mid 2010s when, when he, he broke off his engagement and then he kind of went on that, that, that winning rampage. Um, and so for him to get back in the winner circle, just three events later, um, I think is a reminder of the fact that these great players are, are never as far away from winning as they might seem at the time. 
And I think it's also a testament to the hard work he's put in uh, with new swing coach Pete Cowan. He's gone to this um, fade off the tee, uh, which a lot of the, the top 10 players in the world have gone to just a more reliable shot shape and, and taking that big miss out of play when you can have a double cross. Um, and so you've seen Dustin Johnson go to the fade. You've seen Brooks Kepka gone to the, go to the fade. Justin Thomas plays a, a fade almost exclusively. John Ron plays a fade almost exclusively. And now Rory, who has hit in his career these towering, tight little draws where he kind of pushes it down the right edge of the fairway and, and absolutely center stripes it. He's now going to a shot shape that five to ten years ago would have been totally foreign to him, um, but I think can, can make him uh, an even better player. And so... There's a, there's a lot to take in with this Rory win, but for me, it's it's just surprising that it came three events after what appeared to be one of the one of the deepest low points of his career. I mean, you mentioned Pete. I mean, officially, he's been on the payroll for just two months, so it is pretty amazing, and, and I'm not saying that I didn't expect that from Pete. I, both of us have a great deal of respect, and we've seen what his work has done with other players. That being said, you, you want to know why he's a media darling, and you just pointed it out, because he was able to sit in front of reporters and sort of take all his clothes off. He was willing to be naked in front of us and say that this is as low as I, I am. I, I got lost. I, I, I chased after Bryson and I wasn't doing the right things. And it, there was another moment like this on Saturday where I, I asked him after his round and it was a 68 and it kept him right there in it. And, and, but there was only one blemish. There was a double bogey on 12 when he did hit it left after these extended conversations about, I want to see the ball go from left to right. And I kind of asked him about, you know, what, what happened there on that hole. And he sort of got that Rory smirk on his face. And he goes, I was trying to hit the proper shot under the pressure. And he goes, I knew I could squeeze a little fade bunt driver out there. And he goes, but under pressure, when I need a birdie on a hole, he had to find out. And it was his little experiment. It was his way of trying to find out, am I, is this going to be able to hold up on Sunday afternoon when I need this? If I need a birdie on 12, am I going to have to be able to hit that high draw? that I used to be able to, he didn't hit it. He didn't execute the shot, but I absolutely love the honesty that he had to give it a shot, man. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is really the first time that he's put all these new learnings to the test in the heat of competition. It's not like, I mean, this is one of the strongest regular season fields of the year. It's a major caliber course uh, in quail hollow and, and for Rory to stand up uh, and do what he did on Sunday was, was very impressive. And now obviously one week out from the PGA championship, which is returning to Kiwa Island, which of course is where he won by eight shots. The last time a major was played there in 2012. Are you willing to put him now among the top three or five favorites for the PGA just based on one week? Cause that's all we really have uh, over the past couple of months is one good Rory week. Is that enough to convince you that he is capable of winning that major? He probably would have been top 10 might've been a stretch now that I think about it, but the top 15, Otherwise, had he not played Quail Hollow, which he almost didn't because of his neck locked up on Wednesday, and thankfully he had an afternoon tea time on Thursday and was able to get therapy and was able to play. We all know how that played out now. But even before this week, I think I probably would have put him in the top 15 or 20 just because of what he did last time at Kiowa. That was so entertaining to me. I mean, I can compare it to obviously a couple of Tiger victories. 2008 at the U.S. Open comes to mind, and then his Open victory at Royal Liverpool with Tiger. But that victory of Rory's ranks right up there for me simply because he, I, I remember following him on the back nine on Sunday. And at this point he was leading by six, seven, eight strokes. And he kept hitting driver down the middle of every fairway with that high draw that you just explained very, very well. And like, I was taken by like, he's doing this not because he has to, he's doing it because he can. And I, I love that aspect of him when he was 
that age and he was fearless and he knew that when my game is on, there's no one that can beat me. So I think he already would have been somewhere close to there, but yes, after this, I definitely put him in my top five. How about you? I saw him as the betting favorite. Now uh, he's, he's leapfrog he? guys like Justin Tom. Yeah. He's the betting favorite at 10 to one, uh, oh, which, right. which to me was, was very surprising. I think I'd probably put him right on the cusp of the, of the top five. Um, you know, that was nine years ago. He's a completely different player in person than the last time the PJ was held there. Um, I'm not sure how much actual having course experience is going to help him. And I still think there were signs, obviously he, he got the victory and that was very impressive. I, I, I still think there's signs that he's, that he's not where he wants his game to be. Um, I mean, he was 276 in driving accuracy. Uh, he, hit, he hit far fewer than 50% of his fairways uh, at Quell Hollow. That's obviously going to be putting a premium uh, at Kiowa because you're going to be in some, <laughs> some really nasty spots if you're not finding a fairway. And that's something that he did uh, at the 2012 PGA is he was absolutely pounding driver and hitting it straight. Uh, his, his scrambling was, was very good um, at, at Quell Hollow. I think that'll also play a, a factor. And, and look, he had a great putting week. And when Rory has a great strokes. putting week, yeah, he almost picked up seven strokes on the field, which is yeah, really, was, really good was, for him. He was, he was third in the field in putting. If he puts like that, yeah, he's, he's going to have a chance to win uh, his first major championship in seven years. I just, I could just see myself putting probably five or six guys ahead of him uh, in terms of, of who my favorite for the PJ championship would be. But I think I've, I certainly am more bullish on his chances now, having seen what he, what he did at Wells Fargo that I, that I certainly would have, last week coming off what a miscut a t28 and a, another miscut in his most recent start uh, at augusta national well we have a colleague which which i thought this is funny because it's happened to all of us where he was working he was very very he was almost done he'd done a lot of reporting on the idea that all of the game's top stars are struggling going into the pga championship and of course rory doing what rory did now suddenly deep six sort of that idea that okay maybe they're not struggling very much but to that point and i'm sure this is going to be something that we can address on next week's podcast when we're both up in south carolina but you can kind of go down the list and dustin johnson has not played great he's playing he's, he's he's in the midst of his worst stretch in more than two years justin thomas is his putting is stone cold john rom feels like his, his ball striking is a little bit off at the moment. I mean, we can keep going on and on down the list. And with Rory being the primary example, I mean, exception to this, Brooks Kepka certainly isn't playing very good golf right now. But it, it's going to be interesting where when you, when we're going to try to sit down next week and come up with favorites, I don't know that either you or I could come up with a definitive argument for, yes, this guy should be the favorite hands down. I don't think that person exists right now. Uh, I would totally agree with that. And that's why I think, and we'll get into this at, at the tail end of the podcast, but there is a very good field that has assembled this week at the Nelson. Normally kind of the week leading into a major is kind of sleepy. It's kind of a letdown. Everyone's gearing up uh, for the major championship the following week, but man, we've got a really good field um, that we'll talk about here uh, in a second. Rex, it was an interesting week in Charlotte also, not just because Rory won, but you also had this premier golf league slash super golf league rival breakaway tour kind of reemerge. Everyone thought it was dead after that $40 million player impact program came out. He said, oh, that should keep all the stars happy. Well, I don't think it was a coincidence that that news of this reemergence coincided with the first PJ Tour player meeting of the year. You were there. You were working your sources. You were trying to report out exactly uh, what Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PJ Tour, was telling the players. Just how real is this threat? That we, how, how real should we assume that the PGL slash SGL is going to be in terms of the PJ Tours future. Well, I'll go back to, I'll answer your question with, with 
just a, an example of we know now that Rory has been, if not him, then people around him have been in contact with various members of this group who was trying to start this breakaway league since 2014. And, and we know for a fact that last year it seemed to almost reach ahead when it was called, then called the Premier Golf League. I think now it's supposed to be Super League Golf, but we can, I'm sure that's going to change and over different iterations. But as we got towards the Players' Championship, there was this undercurrent that a deadline's approaching, that who's ever in and who's ever out is going to have to choose a side. And I think that deadline pretty much got, got pushed to the side because of the pandemic. Uh, COVID-19 came along and everything stopped and people stopped having this conversation. It resurfaced this week. And I, I feel like I kind of compared notes. I talked to a lot of players last week and I kind of compared notes versus what these same players told me last year, leaving Mexico, because that's when, you know, the WGC in Mexico, that's when it came to a head and what they're saying now. And I had come up with a spreadsheet last year when I left Mexico, because I wanted to kind of keep track. And those players who were in will not come out and say they're in for obvious reasons. If they do that, Monaghan made it perfectly clear you're going to be immediately suspended. And it's likely, career suicide, career suicide and, and, to come out and say, "Yep, I'm, I'm, I'm signing on." You would not yes. have a place to play until and at likely least expelled. fall 2020. At least fall 2022, if this thing even gets off the ground at all. There is zero incentive for these guys to sign up or announce their intentions. Career That's suicide. Right. But the code word is, and I, I've come to discover this, is that if if the word "interesting" comes out of their mouth, I find that interesting in any form, any iteration. That means that, okay, they're having conversations. They're, they're on these people's lists, and these people have an interest in trying to get this player to come over, probably to be a franchise owner, as we understand a franchise owner to be now of what they want to do. And this player wants to have a conversation. And what my takeaway of that is, long-term, to answer your question in a very long-winded way, is no, it probably will not work this time. It probably won't work next year. But as this continues to evolve and I start seeing more and more players start changing their tune and, and throwing that catchphrase phrase out there, interesting, interested, at some point, everybody's got a price, man. And it may not work the year after that. But what I have learned over this last 12 months and even beyond that, what we know about this league right now is that they're just going to keep throwing money at people. And as one player told me yesterday as I was leaving Charlotte, Everybody's got a price, man. And that's a terrible way to put it. And that's not going to be a very popular opinion. And I'm not sitting here advocating for this at all, because as a member, as an employee of the Golf Channel, I've kind of got a dog in the fight. You've kind of got a dog in the fight. We all want to see the PGA Tour survive. But as a reporter, I can tell you that I'm not comfortable coming on this podcast right now or writing in any form that this is dead, because I don't know that either this iteration is going to be the end of it or this iteration is not going to work because we're talking about so much money. I'm interested in the fact that you said that these players are using code word to kind of tell us their interest level in this, right? Like they're saying they're, they're listening. I've seen a couple people say that they're intrigued. Aren't, aren't these players, whether it's Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, Ricky Fowler, all these guys who've kind of been linked um, to these rival leagues, aren't they just simply gaining leverage? Because when you're when you're reading the tea leaves, it it certainly seems like all what these guys want is guaranteed money. They yes. want significant guaranteed money. That was kind of the purpose of the player impact program, which goes against everything the PJ Tour stands for. PJ Tour and golf in general is the ultimate meritocracy, where if you play well, you're going to get well compensated for it. And the the pip kind of flies in the face of that because you're giving eight million dollars cold hard cash to the player 
who moves the needle, regardless of how they play, regardless of how they play, they're going to get paid. And so is that what the guys are after? They just want guaranteed money, whether it's in the form of like an annual salary or appearance fees. Like what are they, what are they actually seeking? That was one. I, I talked to one agent of, who has a player that's involved in this and has been in these discussions. And yes, I mean, this comes down to guaranteed money and that's going to cause a, a lot of traditional golf fans. That's going to turn off a lot of traditional golf fans. I know that. And I know how that sounds. And as you pointed out, even the pip sort of rubbed me the wrong way because it, this is every time a player would complain over the history of this game, the answer was always the same. Play better. Play better. You, you don't like what, the, the tournaments you can't get into? Play better. You don't like how much you're making off the golf course? Play better. That's always been what people fall back on. And now all of a sudden it's, well, play better or be a little bit better at social media. See if you can engage with fans a little bit better. See if you can be that influencer that the PGA Tour is looking for. But beyond that, yes, the players want guaranteed money. And again, that sounds terrible to a lot of people. But I will point out that athletes in every other professional sport, even amateur sports, are being emboldened in a way that we've never seen before. And when you have an athlete who makes a decision like James Harden to I'm not only am I leaving the Houston Rockets, but I'm going to decide what team I'm going to and I'm going to get the teammates that I want. When you have Aaron Rodgers, who is going to hold Green Bay hostage until he gets what he wants, there's no reason to think that our athletes would be any different. However, However. I mean, they're, they're just they're just not going to get. 35 million guaranteed like a like a Mike Trout or a, a LeBron James. I mean they just they just aren't that type of of superstar who who can bend the league or the tour at their will. Not since Tiger certainly, but even even Phil wasn't on that level that you would say, yeah, that guy that guy deserves 35 million dollars a year to be well compensated like his peers in other leagues. And I and I think Rex personally that I'm I'm really curious to see how long the DJs and the Brysons and the Rickies of the world are going to let these links, these rival leagues linger because they're potentially tarnishing their reputation. They're basically saying, I don't care about the game's history and I don't care about, you know, winning as many times in the PGA tour as I want to. They're potentially squandering goodwill with fans because they just want to squeeze out a couple more million out of the tour each year. Like that looks selfish. That looks ungrateful. That looks short-sighted. And that's not a, not a good look. So that was one of the takeaways I had kind of with a week to sit on it. And my second one, and I'm, perhaps you can shed some light on this. Can't the majors just shut this down? I know the PJ of America came out last week and kind of sided with the PJ and the European tours, but can't the, the USGA, can't the RNA, can't Augusta Nationals come out and say, yep, we're not going to recognize this rival league. If you play for it, you're not going to be able to play in the major championships. This thing's over. This thing is shut down if the majors, major organizations come out and say that that's the case. Yeah, I mean, that was the comparison, right, between the Super League, you know, in Europe, soccer, kickball, whatever you want to call it, and, and the comparison to golf in this particular case because it, it wasn't fan outrage or player outrage that ended the Super League in Europe. It was because UEFA – and the World Cup said that anyone who's playing for this breakaway league isn't going to be able to play in the Europe in the World Cup or the European Championship. And for players, that was a big deal, and it died within 48 hours. So, yes, if when I reached out on Wednesday afternoon to the four major championships and they all got back to me with statements that said anyone that goes with this breakaway league will never be able to play in one of our majors again, that would have been the end of it. But I can tell you, none of them did that. Now, will they do that eventually? Perhaps. And my gut feeling tells me that 
whatever happens here, it's going to end in a courtroom, which is unfortunate for everyone involved, mostly the golf fan, because that's not where we want this to go. We, we want to be talking about brilliant performances like Rory's at Quail Hollow, not catching up with court filings day in and day out. I'm speaking selfishly on that front. And just to address something you said in a previous comment about there aren't athletes who are going to be able to net the Mike Trout kind of money in our sport. If these reports are believed, there are at least 12, 10 to 12 franchise owners that this breakaway league feels like that they merit at least that much money. You can have Justin Rose. You want Justin Rose for $30 million? Have him. I mean, let's go down the list. Let's do the people who have been tied to this. It's Phil Mickelson, who when, when I talked to him about it on Wednesday, he dropped the magic word. I find it very interesting. And he went on to explain why he thought it was a good idea and a bad idea and how he's still sort of going back and forth on it. I, I can tell you, Bryson DeChambeau has been linked to this list. Henrik Stinson has been linked to this list. Adam Scott has been linked to this list. Now, is that the list that you would start some sort of medley Justin Rose, with? Henrik Stenson, Adam Scott, all over 40. Have them. Have them. Uh, Absolutely Bryson DeChambeau, have Dustin Johnson, and Brooks Kepka would be the three sort of kingpins to this, I would think. And again, I mean, I, there has been no comment from any of those three. So th that's just, they've been linked with reports. To be completely fair, and I have been told by one source who knows that no one is committed to this, that there's a lot of guys who are interested, but no one is committed. And you and I probably wouldn't start a league with those guys. However, oh, look, that, they may not get the that league is destined to fail if you, if you start a league with those guys. Just being They honest. may not get the 12 they want, but they'll get 12. And as far as destined to fail, what's your idea of success? Are they trying to be monetarily successful? Yeah, you're probably right then. They would fail. I don't know what that, that's what they're trying to do. If you get half of the top 25 players in the world, is that good enough? Yes. If it's the right 25, absolutely. And then you start it's coming up with really feeder programs. It certainly doesn't sound like it's going to be. Uh, maybe not now. I mean, that's kind of the point of this, right? So, I mean, if you'd asked me a week ago, I'd have told you, yeah, this is never going to happen. It's just a story that you and I are going to have to talk about once every 12 months. Now, knowing a little bit more than I knew last week and, and having a little bit better understanding of where this league is coming from. And look, there's a reason why we're all recoiling at this. Not because, you know, it's, it's not the, the greed, which you tried to... Because we to, can see exactly for what it is. Any sane person can see what the SGL is. It is it's, a grotesque money grab by folks who are trying to sports wash. That's exactly what they are sports doing. Sports wash is, is the key. Like the money grab, I don't think is the part that gets us. It's the sports wash. It's because this money comes from Saudi Arabia and the Sovereign Wealth Fund. And I just, I did a lot of Google searching on Saturday night because I was really, really curious. And it's $362 billion. So I, the idea that they wouldn't want to do this because they couldn't make money as opposed to they want to do it because they want to sport wash what is a very bad image in the, on the international market. I don't know which one of those I believe. Which one do you believe? Look, uh, I mean, the fact of the matter is, it, it, maybe I'm in the minority here. I think what they are proposing sounds dreadful. And maybe I'm in the minority here. But to me, the WGCs that they have in the PJ Tour, those might be the least interesting events of the entire year because you're just combining the top 50 players in the world and you're getting some players from far-flung tours. You're, you're playing at mostly an uninspired venue and you're just competing for a lot of money. I think what makes the PJ Tour so great is you have you know, so much diversity week to week. You, know, you go to some interesting places. You have superstars, but you also have 
you know, the sponsor exemptions come in, the Monday qualifiers come in, you have some Cinderella stories each week. I mean, that's what makes the PGA tour great. And if you just throw in 48 players every single week, uh, playing across the globe, to me, that's wholly uninteresting. I don't know about you. I mean, the concept is interesting to me because we all like team golf and we all like the idea of, and, and look, I, I'll let Phil. But it's not really team golf. You're just, it's like a cumulative score thing. I mean, I'll let Phil do the explanation here. He broke down the pros. Selfless. And cons. Selfless. Act, Selfless is, is what he said. Yes. Which is, which is odd. Which that's that's going to live, word. That's gonna live in infamy. Yes. Quote. It was selfless because guys are going to have to give up their schedule, which seemed okay. Well, it seems to me you're being going to be handsomely, handsomely compensated, but whatever you can go, whichever way you want on that. But I, I think we always talk about this is that there were so few times when Phil and Tiger Woods actually went head to head in a PGA tour event. We can count on one hand, how many times it really happened and it was meaningful, but if you were somehow going to find a way to make sure that happened at least 15 times a year, I'm kind of intrigued by that. I'm not going to lie. But you're but just isn't disgusted. That, isn't that, you were isn't just that what disgusted. You isn't that what you want in a major championship? If, if it happens every week, doesn't that kind of reduce the appeal of that? Uh, too much of a good thing? Yeah, yeah, there's something there. Absolutely. I mean, right. look, well, I mean, what hope- if I, I, well, wait a minute. What, what if I, I really wish I could do the ESPN voice of, of what if I were to, what if I told you? What if I told you that, there was three or four other leagues in the world sort of below these leagues that were all part of the same consortium, right? Like pick whatever league you want. Let's say the Asian tour, let's say the Australian tour, let's say the South African tour. And now all of a sudden you've got a feeder system and you've got already built in events. So let's say the Australian open and the South African open and Japan open, whatever the case may be. And that's all part of this grand schedule. That's one of these 15 to 18 events. Now all of a sudden you start seeing, okay, now you see where the legitimacy comes from. Now you see how players can maintain the world ranking points. Now you see how these events can immediately be included in the world rankings. And you see a reason for a player. Let's use Adam Scott, for example, because when I talked to him about this last year, he left no ambiguity. He said, yeah, I, I would love the idea of playing 15 times a year and hold up in Australia the rest of the year. So he plays 15 times on the Super League and then he goes home to Australia and maybe he adds a five or six events back home on the Australian tour. And that's his schedule for the year. That's a pretty good life for him, and he's being very handsomely uh, rewarded for that. I don't are know. Saying, are you saying there's going to be a class system where you have the upper class, the middle class, in it, which is playing in a different league, and then the 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 you know lower class, which is essentially the corn fairy tour? Doesn't that make more sense now? Does it? It does make. I mean, look, I've I have I have pushed for a a world schedule. I think that if the PGA Tour and the European Tour can combine forces. I think that would, I think that would eliminate a lot of these potential hangups. And I think it would be extremely appealing for especially international players to, to play a a schedule of, of 15 to 20 events. And you're traveling all over the world. That's more taxing on your body. And you can be more limited in that. And you're going to have better fields. Like, I think, I think there is a future for that. I just don't like at all the idea of this 48 player individual tournament 15 million to the winner like it's just it's just outrageous to me and it and i think it just minimizes the regular season there these guys wouldn't be hungry anymore because you win once and you're basically you have generational wealth no and i don't disagree with it and i'm also not going to stick my head in the sand when this is this makes a lot of people recoil 
Like I get it. The sports washing, the Saudi Arabian links to this. I mean, it, this is going to be a difficult sell on, on a lot of different fronts, the least of which is whatever the media rights component would be of this. So, I mean, there's a lot of unanswered questions, but I will go back to your original question. A week ago, if we were having this conversation, I would have dismissed this. I would have said it's just something we're going to have to deal with every year, but it's never going to happen. I don't know if I'm that locked into that opinion now. Well, we will see um, in about 17 months whether you are uh, writing for SuperLeagueGolf.com uh, as a as a senior writer. We will certainly see uh, if that is. Meanwhile, uh, back back on the PJ Tour, if you want to um, cue that up as a segue. Uh, the Nelson is this week, seven days to go until PJ Championship week. And as I mentioned, very, very good feel. Tadeki Matsuyama, fresh off of his two-week quarantine that was mandatory upon returning to Japan. Uh, he was able to celebrate his Masters title. We have Dustin Johnson, um, who has not played uh, well, basically, since, conveniently enough, he, he won in, in Saudi Arabia. Uh, you have Brooks Kepka testing his surgically repaired knee. Jordan Spieth, Bryson DeChambeau, home game. Uh, what are you most interested in watching this week at Craig Ranch? Uh, I'd like to see something out of Brooks. I mean, certainly we have seen him turn a switch at major championships, and I wouldn't be surprised if he did that in two weeks at Kiowa, but I'd like to see something out of him this week. But if, if you're asking me, like the voyeur, you know, the guy who, who likes to see the car crash during the NASCAR races, I, I want to see Bryson DeChambeau. Because when I talked to him yesterday on his way home, he went on one of his kind of Bryson, you know, tangents talking about how he needs to work with Chris Como because the numbers that they're seeing aren't matching up with what they think. And I'm always fascinated by his like never ending quest to try to redefine the game. Like he's going to bend physics and, and the world as we know it to his will. And I just love this ongoing saga. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very simple like that. I like simple shows and this is a very simple show that I enjoy watching. Uh, yeah, apparently it is. And I am curious to see if Augusta national once again, uh, derails Bryson. He didn't play well there uh, once again a couple of weeks ago, and now he's searching for answers and doesn't know where he's going to find them. Uh, Brooks is is obviously a, a good uh, bet to watch this week. I actually think his his appearance this week is actually pretty promising. Um, I remember talking to him at Augusta National, you know, kind of saying what's what's the plan moving forward because you're you're coming off a missed cut here. Um, he was clearly laboring. Uh, all around the hills there at Augusta National, and he said he probably was he probably wasn't going to play again uh, between the PGA Championship. Just kind of letting his body calm down, let his body heal a little bit, and so he can uh, be healthy enough for this this grueling summer stretch that we have come up. So the fact that he's feeling well enough uh, for a tune-up start, I think, is uh, is actually pretty promising. Uh, if you're going with Bryson, who is just easy fodder for you, uh, I'm going to go with watching Jordan Spieth, uh, three consecutive. Uh, Top 10 finishes, of course. He won in San Antonio, the week leading to the Masters. Played well Shocking. there. Uh, Shocking had a, development. Had, a, had an outside chance to win. This is going to be his, his one and only start, of course, before the PGA Championship. But I think the way that he's playing right now, um, with his iron play as good as, it, as good as it is, with how good his chipping, pitching, and putting are, um, I think he was actually a, a, a decent venue for him. Uh, to get back on the on the major trail, you got to keep in mind he was he was playing. Let's see, 2012, he would have been just finishing his freshman year at Texas, the last time the PJ Championship was held at Kiowa. So I think Jordan Spieth, um, he would certainly be if Rory's on the on the outside looking in for the top five. I would certainly put Jordan among my top five favorites for the PGA. 
again, two shocking developments in one sentence. Can't believe you threw that at me, that you were watching Jordan this week and you would put him in your top five for the PGA. Get out of here. It's like the uh, world's going to stop spinning on its axis. Exactly. Uh, Rex, do you have anything else to add before we uh, kick it again to next week where we'll be both uh, Kiwa Island? I'm sure we'll be doing this podcast. Uh, obviously, there's no restrictions in South Carolina. I, so I, I say we have a beer in Charleston. Uh, knock out this podcast, talk PJ championship favorites um, and our initial impressions from walking the golf course. What do you say? I, IPA it is before you go, you were smoking some sort of dessert on your grill the other day. You sent me on Snapchat. You, you want to go ahead. This it was is a your moment. It was a really big weekend. Um, I see. Obviously mother's day weekend. And so on Sunday, um, no, sorry. It actually started on Saturday when we had smoked peach cobbler go on the Traeger uh, filed that up with bacon wrapped shrimp, which were excellent. It's like the the, the exact football food you would want uh, come the fall. I can I can send you the recipe. Uh, send you the recipe. And then yesterday was a really big day. Uh, Mother's Day, of course. Uh, threw some filet mignons on the PK grill, uh, grilled to perfection. Um, and then we had let's see, I think we threw the brownie cake in the oven, some mashed potatoes, lobster bisque. It was a it was a good day. What did you? How did you celebrate Mother's Day in Charlotte, about uh, a thousand miles away from your wife? Uh, worked out in the morning. I think I called her about noon and wished her happy Mother's Day. So that was about it. Not nearly as exciting as you. Although it just dawned on me, we were going to be staying in villas on an island that we probably won't have access to uh, restaurants. Oh. No, no, to restaurants. So what we should actually do is do the podcast while you grill, smoke, burn, cook something. I mean, are we actually going to have grills at our one bedroom villas? Perhaps. I don't know. That's something that we need to find out uh, immediately. But if that is the case, we need to do a video component for this podcast and, and post the video as well. Well, last time we were there, we actually stayed in a three bedroom villa on the island and we didn't get caught in all that terrible traffic that everyone was complaining about. But there we, was, had, a, we yeah, had a great we had a great week last time. We, it was I so know, funny. I don't, know, I don't know what I don't know what all the complaining was about. I, that's what that was it. It was like, you know, when you when you grow up and you hear kids complaining about what it's like, you know, back home in their house or where they live. And you don't really know, but you just kind of not we just nodded our head. You know, guys complaining about hour and a half long shuttle rides. And you and I would just look at each other. And, yeah, man, that's tough. Like, I, I can't believe it. Five minutes from the golf course, people. Five minutes. Roll out of bed. I mean, walk to the golf course. I mean, the only complaint I had that week was getting chomped by the mosquitoes that were, the, you know, the size of of golf balls. That was really the only complaint I had. I, oh, I wasn't going to mention that to our, uh, our kvetching colleagues. I love uh, that tournament. Like everyone complained. Everyone hated it. Everyone hated Kiowa Island. I'm like, man, I love it here. This place is great. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to getting back. Uh, uh, Seminole uh, Walker Cup real quick. That was, a, that was awesome. I really, thoroughly enjoyed that. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a bummer that the stomach bug uh, or the norovirus or whatever they're trying to officially describe it as kind of ravaged both teams. Even, even the captains were getting in on the action. We had guys ralphing on the, on the practice range before matches. So it was a, a little bit of a mess. Um, and that's probably added up to why the Americans who were uh, actually the most stacked that you've ever had in the history of that competition with nine of the top 20 players in the world, probably the only reason they, they won by two points and not more. Um, but it was compelling action and Seminole is just an absolute treat. If, if those of uh, our loyal listeners remember the podcast from about a month and a half ago, when I played Seminole during uh, Walker cup media day. Uh, it was awesome to watch. It was an incredible competition. And again, Sunday at, at Quail Hollow kept my attention it was plenty for me to focus on, but it, watching that and having played it before it, it was cool. It gives me an idea of a greater appreciation every time I watch that competition. 
All right. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the Golf Central podcast presented by Callaway Golf. Rex and I will both be in South Carolina next week previewing the PGA Championship and, of course, recapping the Byron Nelson Championship. Talk to you next time. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.